Welcome to the second episode of the Evolving Prisons podcast with me, Kagan Carey. Today I speak with John Reed. John spends time with people in some prisons in England to reduce loneliness and social isolation. He does this by sharing and teaching poetry and telling stories through music. Today we talk about indeterminate sentences of imprisonment for public protection, also known as IPP sentences. These sentences were used in England and Wales but were abolished in 2012. However, over 1,700 people are still incarcerated under these sentences today. Research has found that there are negative mental health implications associated with these sentences because the person serving the sentence has no idea of when they will be released from prison, they can be left feeling quite hopeless. John compares himself to the starfish story where a girl is seen to be throwing starfish who had washed up onto the shore back into the ocean. A man asks her why she is doing this, because she couldn't save all the starfish due to the volume of them. She threw one more back and said, but I made a difference to that one. John feels that even if he makes a difference to one person in prison, it's worth it. And by the sounds of things, he is already making a difference to many people. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, good morning, Kagan. Yes, how did I get into prisons? Well, a guy who at the time was the prison governor at Leicester Prison, uh, a certain Phil Novis, um, contacted me via Twitter because I had been doing some musical interludes, perhaps for want of a better word, into care homes. And this came as a result of a, a course that I was doing for social enterprise um, where I was going into care homes and really reminiscing I suppose is the word I was talking to the old folk about their childhood now this was particularly appropriate for dementia sufferers but it was very good for everybody really because being a bit of an old chatterbox what happens is I get rambling on about whatever I start thinking about and then I go off at a tangent so for example I was talking uh, one day about my mum's life now my mum was born in 1922 uh, and she lived until uh, 2015 yeah six years ago we lost her um, and of course talking about my mum's life uh, brought out lots of memories so if they've got dementia they can remember all that way back anyway and if they haven't got dementia well they can just join in and remember and it's really what you're doing is building for a short period of time a relationship between yourself as the presenter and the audience and this is what anybody that goes on stage does you know it's it's a some would say it's a gift I, i'm not sure i concede to that um, it's just a way of uh, as you and i are doing now really just communicating uh, and phil saw what i was doing and said did i think it would work in prison and i said well, i've got no idea phil but let's try it so i went along to the prison one saturday morning went into uh, what everybody calls the SEG. It's the segregated unit, which I didn't even know what the segregated unit was. Turns out it's the naughty boys amongst the naughty boys. Um, and I did the story of Elvis Presley. None of, uh, none of the people in the group were dementia sufferers, um, but I did the story of Elvis and I played Elvis music, including Jailhouse Rock. And the effect on the group was wonderful to see. I had men dancing in the aisles and it was a party atmosphere, really. Um, 
And I think generally the public would not only uh, have never seen this, but wouldn't necessarily want it to happen. You know, there's a body of people out there, uh, and I'm sure you've met them, Kagan, who don't want anybody in prison to have any kind of pleasure or support in any way. They've done the crime, and the old saying about do the crime, do the time, that's the way they are. That's the way they see things. And that's not the way I see things. I see uh, a prison where being in prison is the penalty. But when you are let out of prison, when you're released at the end of your sentence, hopefully a better person will emerge. Either they've learned their lesson or they've been taught a better way. They've been given options and choices. Um, and you can only do this if the person that you're talking to is listening to what you're saying. So what am I doing? Well, I'm going into a prison, forming, albeit a temporary relationship, nevertheless, performing and generating a relationship between me and my audience. And the two words that I engender to them are trust and respect. And I tell them that I will trust them and respect them if they reply in the same vein, if they trust and respect me. Um, and so that's what we do. We get a relationship going. That's amazing, John. And you're absolutely right. There are so many people in the public who believe that prison should just be about punishment. But I'm a firm believer that if we don't teach them a better way or treat them with respect, a lot of these people don't even respect themselves because they've maybe had very difficult upbringings. So if we don't respect them, it just makes them feel even worse about themselves. And ultimately, we're impacting society, aren't we? Because when they get out, they're worse than when they went in, if we don't treat them well. I think so. But some members of the public wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. But I do. That's my philosophy. Um, and when I look at COVID, and the effect that that's had on prison. I mean, I've, I've been into prison only yesterday afternoon, and I've learned that in this particular prison, four prisoners have died from COVID. Um, they've currently got an outbreak where 19 prisoners are isolating. This out of a population of about 750 is not huge, but nevertheless, it has to be contained. Um, and so I, I think that they're living under very difficult um, situation very horrible and during this period of time uh, although I'm not an authority on it I'm told that self-harm rates and suicide rates either attempted or successful um, have skyrocketed you know they've increased dramatically and that's because people's mental health is suffering and what can we do about mental health well I did a mental health awareness course some weeks ago now, uh, and it's made me recognize the danger signs. Not all of them, but, you know, I had a guy the other day wrote me a poem, and in it he said that, uh, effectively he said that if his parole request this time was not successful, then he'd very likely wish he was dead. And to me, that's saying, do you know what? I'm considering suicide here. I can't take much more of this. The background to that is that he is an IPP prisoner, which you don't have in Scotland, do you? But we, no, we, we have in England. So this we no longer have this sentence, but there was a period of time where a judge could sentence somebody to what's called an IPP. Um, and the PP bit is public protection. 
So he he might normally get a two-year sentence, but if it's a two-year IPP sentence, they won't release him even after the two years until they are convinced that he is no longer a danger to the public. Um, and this particular guy that I, I was thinking of um, had served an extra 10 years on top of the two years that he'd been sentenced to, because during that 10 years, he had never been able to convince them that he was no longer a risk. One of the things that they have to do, they have to admit and show sorrow and remorse for the crime they committed. Now, if the man inside is not guilty, but the jury have found him guilty, he knows he didn't do it, but nobody else believes him, then he's never going to admit the crime because he didn't do it in the first place, <laughs> in his mind. Um, and if he never admits it, it'll never come out. So he could finish up being there for the rest of his life. So the whole system needs looking at. But I'll come back to the main point. What I do in prison is only designed to, to make them understand that some people do care. Some people do want to do something about improving their mental health for their own self-survival. Uh, and that this nightmare of a prison sentence will come to an end. I would concede that not everybody can be turned. You know, there are people in prison that have committed such terrible crimes that, that they're living a life very different to ours and that no matter of no manner of interventions, poetry, music, comedy, chat, whatever it is, you're not going to change these people because they are nasty people. Yep, I agree, John. There are definitely people in prison who um, deserve to be there. They've done some horrific things and torn families apart. Um, so I, I do completely agree with you there. Um, so, so much interesting stuff you've said there. First of all, with the mental health, I remember um, actually listening to another podcast quite a few months ago about people in prison during COVID. And um, somebody had been released from prison in that time. And they'd said that in their prison, they saw people exhibiting symptoms of COVID um, very unwell in their cells, but hiding it because they were actually put into segregation if they, if they were found to have COVID. And they said it was absolutely horrific. They just weren't looked after, um, which is terrifying. And um, I also read that drug seizures in prisons have been so much higher this year than last year because people are using substances to escape from the nightmare that they're living in. Mm. Um, and the IPP part that you, you'd said, it's, it's terrifying. And also I, I've read myself that IPP prisoners, sometimes they end up committing um, offences of some kind in prison, just misbehaving because they're, they're hopeless. They feel like they, they have nothing to live for anymore. It, life can't get worse because they're never getting released. And it's that revolving circle, isn't it? Of they never exactly get parole right. and it's, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. And what can we do about it? Well, people like me, and I'm only one man, can try and make a difference. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of the story of the, the, the little girl on the beach who was seen to be throwing starfish back into the sea. You know the story? Yeah. Okay. Um, and the lesson learned from the story is a simple one. You know that we can't change the world ourselves, but we can begin to make a change and hopefully others will change us will join us yeah. and I'm in that position you know I'm one man with an idea and 
I know that it works because I've taken it into prison and I know it works. Mm -hmm. But I can't do every prison in the land. Um, so, you, you know, I was only, only yesterday I was talking to, as I said, to the prison governor. Um, and I made the point to him that, that, you know, I'm 74 next birthday. I'm inclined. <laughs> my dream is to work until I'm 80. But that only gives me another six years. So what do I want to achieve in that six years? Well, I want to leave a legacy. And how could I leave a legacy? Well, I'd like to leave some people with the same frame of mind that I've got, that I've trained to do what I do and expand it and take it, you know. Um, I don't think it would work with a serving prisoner delivering poetry or anything else to his colleagues in prison. I think you need to be somebody coming in from the outside because they view you differently. Um, and I notice that as I get to know these lads, as time goes on and I go in on a regular weekly basis and spend the day with the same group of men, that gradually the trust and respect is developing. And so um, a byproduct of this, I noticed only this week, you know, a prison officer can sit in the corner for security reasons but because the residents are so comfortable with, with me, they chat away and tell me what's happening in their lives, whether it's legal or illegal, whether the prison needs to know about it or not. You might call it bragging. <laughs> but nevertheless, the prison officer afterwards said to me, you know, we can gain valuable intelligence this way because they don't remember that I'm still in the room. They're so comfortable with you. They chat away. Uh, and if that helps, you know, that's not what I intend to do at all. If that helps anybody, well, fine. But that's not, you know, I'm not asking these guys to tell me their secrets yeah. because they're living a parallel universe to us, really. But, but that of their own volition, they come out with these statements that you think, well, crikey, I didn't know that was going on. Yeah. You know, these particular guys were referring to, I think it's an artificially made drug called Mamba. Uh, I think it's one of the drugs that is in prison and can have terrible effects on people that take it. And they were chatting away about somebody who had some member. Uh, and obviously I'd got no knowledge of it. I, I wasn't there when it happened. I wouldn't know member if you put it on a sandwich and gave it to me to eat, you know. <laughs> um, and that's perhaps is one of the reasons they, they trust in me because they know that, the generation I am, the life experiences I've had are not like theirs. And so I'm a different person to them. So they can tell me things in their lives that are happening, that they know it's safe because I'm never going to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. What a, a privilege mm. that th these people trust you to um, spe speak to, because sometimes they probably don't have anyone to speak to. Um, they don't feel no. like they can trust some people around them. Um, but in, in reference to the drugs, it's, it's scary. The drugs are in prison and apparently um, it costs more as well. So if you're taking drugs in prison, the, the debt that you're um, stacking up is much worse than when you're in the outside. So then your family might be getting trouble on the outside to pay for the drugs. And the impact it also has on prisoners and prison staff. I've heard stories where um, they, they use spice in Scottish prisons, perhaps English prisons as well. And that can have secondary effects. So prison officers have to be careful because they can be impacted by the drug, even though they've not taken it. So it's very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And if the effect of this trade on society, how do you price it? 
You know, if you were to go to um, the prison service, the, he the head man, I don't know who he is, the head man of the prison service and say, look here, I've got a plan. It's going to cost you a million pounds, but it'll save 10 million pounds in, in treating it within prison. Uh, and any commercial minded person, if you went with a proposition like that, would go, yeah, yeah, we'll have that smashing. But that doesn't exist in a non-commercial environment. And it's extremely difficult to get a message like that to the people that can make these decisions. But, but they need to be made because, you know, to me, the, the prison system we've got at the moment has a number of failings and they all could be corrected. They all could be improved, but you need that, that, that word that I love, want. You need to want to do it. So how could we stop self-harming in prison? Well, people self-harm with the most ridiculous things, don't they? So to take away uh, the borrow pens and the, the plastic knives and to take them away is not very practical. But to put the people that are doing it into a mentally better place where they have no desire to do it, hey, that could work, couldn't it? Yeah. And, and I'm going in there and doing at the moment we're, we're, we're focusing on poetry but it's just as easy it could be music it could be comedy uh very difficult to deliver comedy in prison but it can be done i've, I've had a little go made my mistakes and learned from it um or just chat why don't we have a debating society in a prison that would be good wouldn't it because if you had a debating society and the men knew that they could stand up and debate amongst their peers and amongst a debate leader, uh, and I would love to do this, um, at the very least, it, it, it gives them the impression that they're being listened to, that somebody's taking notice. Now, the outcome might not be very different to what it is at the moment, but it would certainly help their mental health. And I think the, the key to... Reducing recidivism, uh, what's the word again? Recidivism. <laughs> recidivism. It's a bit of a yeah. tongue tire, isn't it? <laughs> Just a bit, yeah. Uh, the key to reducing that, to reducing self-harm, to reducing suicide attempts, and to lifting the, the moral uh, feelings, the, the, the mental feelings of the people inside, comes with, will they listen to you in the first place? So whatever vehicle we use to communicate with these people, that's what I do. and I, I get them to like what I'm doing. I get them to like me, really, in the same way that you might see somebody on TV as a host to a programme that you you think you know them and you speak to them and so on. You know, it, it's just it's just human communication, really. Yeah. And that's fundamental in prison, isn't it? It's relations between people. I think so. I think uh so. It's, it's how do you get the prison authorities to receive this message? to learn from it and go, do you know what? That's worth a try. It's interesting. What, oh, sorry, get on you, go done. No, I was going to say, because I'm not a charity, at the end of the day, I can't do this for free. Um, so I make a charge. So, you know, sometimes that's a barrier and that's a shame, really. But I must admit, I'm a bit of an old softie. If the prison <laughs> tells me they can't afford it, I'm probably going to go and do it anyway for free and let them try it out. 
that just shows how kind-hearted you are and how um, passionate <laughs> you are about the cause. Um, but it's interesting what you said about the, the debating society. There's actually a prison in Norway um, called Bastoy Island. And um, one of the previous governors there actually set up a council with people in prison. And right. he, he made a joke that the, the prisoners were always coming to him with their problems. And he thought, well, when they get out into society, they're going to have everyday problems. They're going to have yeah. issues with people. So why not set yeah. up a council where they actually have to um, handle everyday issues themselves so that it prepares them for life outside. And that was years ago and it's still set up now and it gives them a sense of responsibility and like they're being heard and respected. And it seems like such an incredible thing. Yeah, I think it happens in English prisons as well. I don't know whether you have this in Scotland, but um, they certainly do have committees. And uh, one of the prisons I go into, I go into the section for the older residents um, and they run it like a, they run it like a club really. Um, they have a secretary and they have a chairman and they have meetings every couple of weeks to decide on what the program is going to be for the next fortnight. Uh, they have bingo uh, three afternoons a week, you know, um, because they don't have to go to work because they're over retirement age. Mm -hmm. So if they're in there for 10 years, how are they going to spend their time? You know, yeah. it's a bit of a rest for the first couple of days, but you're not in a mental place to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, and I laugh and joke with them and I go, you know, nice hotel this, you know, what's the food like? <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a good bed? What you got a nice view from the window, that kind of thing. Um, and when I first do it, they just laugh and then they think, is he for real, this bloke? What's he doing? You know. But it, again, it's 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 men relating to men, isn't it? I, uh, with all respect to you, Cake, and I don't know if you walked into the prison like I do and you tried to copy what I do, I don't think it would work. Um, and that's not being derogatory to you. It's because age and gender, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a different thing. Mm -hmm. it it, the opposite would be true, I imagine, in a woman's jail. Yeah. You know, ladies are going to, there are going to be ladies in a women's prison who are scared of men. That's why they're there. The men have coerced them into committing a crime. So any man that walks up to them and tries to laugh and joke with them, they're going to be very wary. Whereas you might be able to walk in and, and get a lot more success than I would. I don't know because I've never been in a woman's prison. But, yeah. So I'm guessing, really. It's, it's just like it's humans, horses for courses. Yeah, uh -huh. it's just not all humans are going to take to other humans, are they? They say, no, um, I can't remember the statistics, but I think in the world they've said that only a, a hundred thousand people in the whole world will be your people in terms of they, they they will relate to you whereas other people will just never relate to you no matter how hard you try no that's um, right so about your about your poetry john so you said that you go in and do you teach poetry to the prisoners do they write their own poetry how does it work both so what we do um we start off with the simplest of poems i.e. a limerick, and I read them a couple of limericks. Um, and they will all know limericks, and a lot of them will know obscene limericks. So I read, I read them a couple of gentle ones. The, the one, one of my favourites, I, I can't remember it, I'm afraid, but um, one of my favourites entails a man who dived into the sea and he saw a shark and he thought he'd give it a race, but unfortunately he lost. Um, and they all laugh at that, you know. Um, but then if they if they can't kind of think, I tend to give them a limerick, which I, 
I won't do now because it's a little bit naughty, but um, I'll give them a limerick that on the outside would be very, nobody would raise an eyebrow at it. But in prison, because it has sexual undertones, they're a little bit nervous about it. And I, But I say to the men, in trying to talk to them in their language, you know, listen to this limerick that you no doubt will know and then rewrite it with your words, not the rude words. So I wouldn't have them if if they submit, and they do submit some really obscene poems sometimes, and I just tear them up and put them away. I'm, you know, that's what they're going to do. That's what men do, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, so we start off with a limerick, then we expand it a bit, and I've got some others that I read to them. Uh, there's one called My Dad, um, and I do that. Uh, and then I say, right, now, what I've done while I've been visiting prisons, I have written a number of poems myself. And I would like you to listen to the poem. I'll tell you first why I wrote it. Then I'll read the poem. Then you must tell me what you think of it. I get them chatting. I get them thinking about poems. Um, and finally, I get them uh, to suggest a subject. Now, they come up with all manner of subjects uh, and they try me out, really. So the more repeatable ones, I had one the other day where the bloke said, Lamborghini, I want a poem about a Lamborghini. I said, have you got one? He said, what, a poem? I said, no, no, a car. Have you got the Lamborghini? No, no, he said, but wouldn't it be great? I said, are you in for crime, car crime? He went, mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So I wrote him a poem about a Lamborghini and then I read it to them and it was a silly poem. It was just nothing really. Uh, it was only eight lines long and it was, you know, and then I said, right, so I've risen to the challenge. Now you must rise to the challenge and you must write one. And so most of them did. Some, some wouldn't do it. Um, but at the end of the day, I get them writing a poem. Now on the good ones, uh, I bring them home with me, the written version that they've written. And I type them up myself, put them on my um, not headed notepaper, but you know the continuation sheets you have. So on my headed notepaper, I have a logo, which is a book with some music and stories in it. And then I have my name and address and phone number and all that. Well, on the continuation sheet, you just have the middle bit. Um, so I print it up on that so that they can see it's from me. And when I go in on the next visit, I hand it back to them. Um, and that seems to go down a storm because one guy is prolific and writes lots. So I take an A4 envelope in and I give him his pile of poems from last week. And then we take it to, to the ultimate, really. We, we take a poem that they've written and we set it to a video with music and I do the voiceover. Wow. So uh, I can then, I take in a computer and a projector and I show them the result of my efforts in the prison. Now, they obviously can't have a copy of that because they haven't got the facility. Mm -hmm. However, I have a website. So I then say to them, look, if you want to get any of your family or friends to contact me via the contact page on my website, I will send them, if they give me an email address, I'll send them a copy of that file so that when they get the visit from their wife or children or whoever comes in, they can talk to them about what they've achieved in prison, 
and they can see the evidence of the achievement delivered into their inbox on their email. That's lovely. And we haven't yet got to that stage. We've got to the stage of, of we've got the we've got the videos ready, uh, and I've got to the stage of telling them uh, because I give everybody a pen to write with, and on the pen is my website address. So I don't want my personal email address masked around the world. Um, but anybody can write to me and my intention and nobody has yet, but when they do, I will then say to the prisoner concerned, I've had a request from Fred Carner. Is it okay if I send Fred a copy of this video? And if he says yes, then I'll send it because they're, they're not my, I mean, I've generated them, yeah. but um, I don't own the copyright. I don't think but, and that's mm -hmm. not what it's about anyway. So you get the complete circle then. Uh, but again, the whole thing is designed to get people trusting and respecting that what I say I'll do, I will do, and they'll enjoy it. And it's such a diversion from normal prisoners boredom that it's bound to improve their mental health and thereby, as a knock-on effect, reduce self-harm and suicidal thoughts. That's amazing, John. Such an incredible thing that you do. Um, and you're right. If they have somebody who says they're going to do something and follows through, they've probably not had that often in their lives. Um, so yeah. that's amazing. Um, and with the with the poems, <clears throat> do you find that um, people, it gives them an outlet to write how they're feeling and things? Because sometimes prisons can be places where people have to bottle up their emotions and things because their peers might see it as a weakness or something. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, and that's another thing you see when when prison officers um, read this kind of thing, um, they can perhaps to a trained psychologist, maybe it's um, giving them an insight into their mindset. Um, shall I read you one? Would you like yes. to hear a, a poem written by a prisoner? Yeah. This was only written recently. Um, and this is a guy that I have an awful lot of time for. This is a guy who is ex-military, who's made some wrong choices when he's left the military. He calls the poem a beginning and ending prison poem. And it goes like this. As I get put into an empty cell, I start to think, am I in hell? I take a seat on my plastic chair, looking through bars with nowhere to stare. So I flick through every channel on TV. There's nothing broadcasting that appeals to me. I'm writing this poem to pass the time, sitting and thinking of words that rhyme. For some time at least, it gives me peace. After all, I have no other release. But the harder I think, my mind goes blank. As reality hits, I've been a plank. So I will find things to do to help settle my head as this feeling I'm having makes me wish I was dead. I will do my time and work on going straight before this lifestyle I'm leading causes me to lose my best mate. There are some people in prison who have done bad things, but maybe not terrible things, and they are very remorseful. And it's probably punishment enough being inside their head reliving what they've done the last thing yeah. they need is punishment further for however yeah. many years that they're in there he's written a number of poems and one of his best ones i don't have it in front of me at the moment one of his best ones relates to us as society 
you know, as society, we send these men off to war. And when they go to war, what are they intent on doing? They're intent on killing. They, it's either kill or be killed, isn't it? Yeah. So when they come back out of the services after serving perhaps a number of years, perhaps in a number of different war zones, should we be surprised if they have anger management problems? I don't believe we should. I, I think we should understand. And what are we doing as a society to reduce the problems that they have? This particular guy told me on our first meeting that he suffers from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, he's the nicest bloke you could wish to meet, but you wouldn't want to meet him on a battlefield. And you certainly wouldn't want to meet him when he's had a drink, because he'll tell you himself, it's the drink that's the problem. And he also told me that the only reason he came to see me on the very first time we started uh, was he was curious. He thought, I wonder, you know, will it do me any good? He said, I came along, I listened to you for the morning. I was sold, he said, it's great. And he'd been writing poetry ever since. He is prolific. Wow. What an incredible impact you've had on people, mm. John. It's amazing. And the prison officer would say that if he was the only man you affected in the group in a positive way, if he was the only one, the rest of them just come for a love, then your mission is a success because you've saved that one man from the rest of his life. He's in his, I would say, probably his late 30s. I, I don't know his age, but that yeah. kind of age. He's got a number of years. Um, he's deeply deeply in love with somebody at the moment and his poems reflect that uh, he writes some lovely love poems that's amazing and it, we, mm. we can't even begin to comprehend what he's seen and what he's been through um, no. so amazing that he has an outlet through poetry to be able to maybe get back on the right track because if he's only in his 30s he's still got a long life ahead of him hopefully hmm hmm and I write poetry myself based on what I see in prison. And I see some incredible things. Um, this time, two years ago, I was talking to a prisoner uh, on a family day. And he was telling me that his wife and his daughter were coming to see him. And this would be the last time he would see them before Christmas. And we chatted away. And then the doors opened. And the very first people to come through the door was his wife and his little girl. And his little girl was about two years of age. Mum had dressed her in the most beautiful red dress. She looked like a Christmas tree walking. And she saw Daddy, and Daddy saw her, and they just ran for each other. And he got the biggest cuddle. Money can't buy these things. No, money, it's not worth money. This is what life is about. And he gave his little girl a cuddle, and then his wife arrived, and he gave her a cuddle too. And yeah, he's done wrong. Of course he's done wrong. That's why he's in prison. He, if you asked him, have you done wrong? Yes, John, I have. Been a naughty boy. However, I'm not going to be in here forever. When I go out, I want my wife and little girl to understand. And I think at the age two, um, by the time he went out, you know, she would still be under five. Okay. And uh, she wouldn't remember him being inside. Um, so thankfully, but... You know, I also knew a guy that, that had a teenage son coming to visit him. And the teenage son would certainly know what dad has done. And um, it's not good for the child, is it? 
no, definitely not. And it's hard because um, family relations are one of the major things that actually prevent people relapsing and committing another crime and going back to prison. Um, yeah. So if you can maintain those family ties, it's so important. But as you say, that, that's a whole other field, the impact that imprisonment has on families. It's horrific. And that could be a whole other podcast episode because there's so much on that. Yeah. And that, that's another reason why I'm thinking, as, as I outlined earlier, about producing a video that you give access to the family on the outside that can see that dad or son or whoever the relationship might be with is doing his best. He's in a place he don't want to be. He didn't expect to be there because they none of them expect to be caught, do they? No. But he's doing his best to keep his sanity. And when he comes out, he's going to turn a corner and be a nice guy. And they can see that. Whereas how else can they see it? You know, a prisoner can write a letter. But the letter he writes is going to be read by a prison officer before it leaves. Yeah. And it's going to be delivered on notepaper headed up HMPP, I think. Um, it, it's a it's a personal but impersonal thing. They can go and visit him and they can sit and chat, but only for limited times. And COVID has reduced that absolutely. But send them a video that they know he's produced, albeit uh, indirectly. He's responsible for the words and they can hear him talking it, although it's my voice. And they can play it over and over and over and over. They can play it every day if they wanted. If he wrote a nice poem saying, Darling, I love you and missing you great, you know, but I'll be home soon if only you wait. Something like that, you know, and send that to her. She could play that every day and it will keep the relationship fresh, won't it? It'll help anyway. I won't say it will solve all the problems, but it will do no harm. It's amazing what you do. They, it has an impact on the families, as you say. It has an impact on them. They're probably very deep personal poems where they're they're getting out a lot of their heart anger sadness remorse um, i'd like to think it has an impact on the prison service itself as well now i imagine myself as a prison officer and i've been given the task of keeping a special watch on maybe a dozen people that i have to look in their door every five minutes because they're on suicide watch or they're self-harmers and I go about my patrol to the best of my ability until one day I open a window and there's a man hanging dead from the ceiling. The man has died because of his mental health has driven him to that. However, the prison officer now has to witness it. What effect does it have on the prison officer? Yep. Take self-harming. You know, I have spoken to prison officers that have opened the window on the door seen the guy bleeding profusely, run in to do something about it, got covered in blood, got the guy to stop self-harming, get the medics in there, get the guy in some sort of survivable state. And what effect does that have on the prison officer? Yeah. And if prison officers are being recruited and they hear that this is some of the things they might have to put up with, what effect does it have on recruitment? You know, you need to look at the whole thing holistically. And dear simple old John, wandering in, having a laugh, playing a bit of music, doing some poetry. If it helps, well, thank goodness. And from what I've seen so far, though I'm blowing my own trumpet, but from what I've seen so far, it does help. It has a benefit. 
and it's not even a high cost monetary wise yeah that's fantastic and as mm. you say the, the prison officers they their secondary trauma from what they see um they i mentioned on the last podcast that they have a shorter lifespan than the general population and it's because they suffer from ptsd they are yeah. stressed they're anxious their cortisol is just running wild because they're always mm. in a reactive mode they they're um, at higher risk of heart attacks um, suicide divorce because they're seeing horrific things and then they're going home to their partner who perhaps does a job that's completely different and they couldn't even fathom what their partners had to see that day mm. um no idea it's, it's all it's awful the things they go through and as you say re retention staff retention i know that in multiple prison services it's very difficult to retain staff staff will have their training they'll come into the the wing after their training at the college and I've heard officers say that some new staff will run a mile because they did not expect that the things they see, they would have to see on a daily basis. And the general public just couldn't even begin to imagine. No, absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so, John, final thing. Um, what would you say that working in prisons has completely opened your eyes to how things are? Did you know much about prison before you went into it? or? It has changed my life. Absolutely. And only a week or two back, I wrote, you know, had I realised what a prison officer's career was like, I'd have signed up for it years ago. But I'm way past that now. Um, it has had a dramatic effect on my life, um, a good effect. Uh, sometimes it makes me sad. Uh, there's a little story I told you a moment ago about the two year old in the red dress. I had to turn away because I was crying. Um, and not because I'm ashamed of crying, not in the slightest, but I, I didn't want to spoil it for the man and his little girl. Yeah. Um, I've met people that the first person I ever met who told me I shouldn't be here because I'm innocent, to be honest, I didn't believe him. Um, but I now think there must be, because of our judicial system, there must be sometimes, surely, people that get found guilty that aren't really guilty, just the evidence suggests they are, and vice versa. People that are as guilty as hell, but have got a good brief and they get away with it. Now, I realise that the adversity, adversarial system that we have is going to produce those anomalies. Of course it is. Um, but it's a sad thing that it does. And I think that's another impact it's had on my life because I, like everybody else, never considered that that might happen. Um, it's had an effect on my home life. Um, my wife, I tell her the basics of what I see. We share, like any husband and wife, we share conversations every evening. Um, I was in prison yesterday and we discussed what happened when I got home. But I couldn't possibly tell her the details. She would not be able to stomach it. Like the most of the population, really, they, they don't want to consider um, what's going on. Uh, I might relate a, a very short story uh, about three weeks ago now I had uh, I go to a, a networking meeting on Zoom uh, of local friends I live in Worcestershire local friends that have got businesses and it's it's intended to share your business fears and worries and chat it through with people that might have lived the problem um, and as a guest we had my collaborator man my man who does the videos um, Edmund Flanagan. And uh, 
we had him on as a guest and I wanted him to talk about how you run a business in prison because that's exactly what he did. Now, it's obviously uh, not necessarily legal because he was dealing drugs in prison, so that's certainly not legal. But he was also um, drawing portraits of people and then selling the portraits. So you could bring him in a photograph, a prison officer, bring a photograph in, he would draw a pencil version of it. And because he therefore had an income, he could top up his earnings from what he was getting anyway in prison. And his life was comfortable really compared to people who hadn't got money. Um, and what I found after the event, uh, which I thought went very well, and it was very interesting. I've heard the story a few times, but for the other people in the group, there were about 12 of us, I suppose. Um, however, two of them, uh, I wouldn't say took exception to it, but took the attitude that this is not necessarily what we want to see on this network because the type of crime and the lifestyle that Ed has had is not one that we know and recognise and we prefer not to. We prefer to bury our heads in the sand. And they weren't arguing that that was the right approach. They were simply saying, I know that one of the guys has had a bit of depression in the past. They were simply saying that it makes them depressed to hear the story and realise there are people out there like that. And I think there's an awful lot of people in the general public like that. They want to ignore it. They don't want to think that there are people um, doing what criminals do. Yep. They just want to turn their back to it and, um, a bit like if you're happily married, you don't want to consider people getting a divorce, do you? Yeah, yeah similar exactly. thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's changed my life. Amazing, John. For, and for the better, I might add. <laughs> that's fantastic. And last thing, John, where can people find you online if they want to speak to you or know more about your business? Would they go to my website, please? Which is <laughs> www. I think you don't have to say that anymore. But... <laughs> The next bit is all one word, the old fella, T-H-E-O-L-D-F-E-L-L-A-H, the old fella, .co.uk. Go on the website, go to the contact page, drop me a note, and I will always reply. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today, John. Um, it's been sure. a pleasure and you are such an incredible person doing amazing work in prison. So thank you for that. Now, shut up now. You're embarrassing me now. <laughs> Give over. <laughs> I hope you found it interesting because I certainly did. Thank you, Tolkien. If you have experience working in or living in prisons around the world and wish to be a guest on this podcast or you have any questions or feedback for me, please visit my website, evolvingprisons.com and use the contact form to send me a message.